We thank you to the worship team and Chip. That's one of the things that we enjoy so much about Staples Mill Road Baptist Church. Appreciate the spirit in which uh, Chip leads our time of worship. Uh, just the humility and the focus upon the Lord and His Word. And uh, we also are grateful to be a part of this church family because of the very generous support that you give to our missionaries around the world. Your missionaries, more than 3,600 of them, and there are 2,850 kids uh, who are sharing the gospel uh, among the nations and just incredibly grateful for the sacrificial giving uh, through this church family, the Co-opter program, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And it is a, a, a privilege for me on their behalf to say thank you uh, for that support and the sending out, uh, not just volunteer mission teams. We have so many uh, missionaries who've gone out from Staples Mill and uh, others we meet uh, overseas and they have so many ties here. Uh, that certainly was something that attracted us uh, to the church a couple of years ago. Uh, but the other thing was uh, our pastor, your pastor, uh, to find a pastor who uh, so faithfully and with humility preaches God's word uh, the way Pastor Jim does and the way he's been doing here, I think for 16 years uh, as a pastor of, uh, of this church. I just feel very grateful to have him as my pastor, and I trust that you agree uh, the same, uh, that uh, you're grateful, we're grateful together uh, for Brother Jim and his family and their ministry. I'm going to turn our attention this morning to a passage of Scripture that uh, really highlights for us the importance of that ministry, the importance of our mission reach, both in this community and to the ends of the earth, uh, the essence of the mission of the church and why it is so vital. We're looking at the book of Revelation chapter 20. I want to invite you to turn with me near the end of your Bibles. Revelation chapter 20, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, then you'll recall that what we find to a great extent within these pages is a vision or a series of visions that God gave to John and he has recorded for us. John, of course, was uh, one who followed the Lord Jesus. He was one who preached the gospel. He was persecuted for preaching the gospel. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. And it was in his prison cell that God began to reveal things to John through the visions that we see recorded in the book of Revelation. Some of those things were helping John understand what the Lord was doing in his day. Some of the things that John describes, I believe, pertain to the events of our day. Some of the things John describes in these visions that God allowed him to see have yet to take place. That's sort of the category uh, I think we find here in Revelation 20, where John writes, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. 
Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated upon it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. May God add his blessing to our hearing and understanding of his word today. As I was about to rise to preach in the first of our three services this morning, our pastor was seated beside me and I turned and asked him, are you premillennial? <laughs> he got sort of a quizzical look on his face and, and then replied, well, yes. <laughs> and I said, good. <laughs> because I'm about to preach a sermon on Revelation 20. And those of you who are familiar with Revelation 20 and, and uh, this text within the context of uh, historical theology might know that this passage really is uh, the, the, the crux, the foundational passage for that viewpoint. Premillennialism is, is simply a viewpoint on the order of events that will take place at the return of Christ or what we refer to often as the end time or the end times. Those who hold that viewpoint interpret the events described here in Revelation 20 as literal historical events that will unfold in the course of time. Someday Christ will literally return to earth. He will reign for a thousand years. Satan will be held captive during that time, later to be released, and then once for all defeated and eternally punished. And those whose names are found written in the book of life will be welcomed into God's kingdom. And those whose names are not found written in the book of life will be forever separated from God in hell. That literal interpretation of these events is known as premillennialism. I think it's the right interpretation, although I try to hold those things with some level of humility and, and am always open to other opinions. But for all this passage could potentially help us understand about the events that might unfold 
upon the return of Christ and at the end time. It's not the order of those events that I think is most important as we consider Revelation 20. I believe it's the outcome of those events that is most important. And what that outcome means for you and for me and for our church, I believe that that outcome clues us into what is the most important issue and the greatest problem in our world. If I were to ask you this morning, what do you consider to be our world's greatest problem? What would come to your mind? I've had the opportunity twice since the beginning of the war in Ukraine to travel there to see the work that we're doing together as Southern Baptists, the work your IMB missionaries are doing on the front lines, been in Poland and Romania. By the way, thank you for being a part of such great generosity. We've seen almost $11 million now come in for the relief efforts that we're doing they're caring for people whose lives and country are being utterly destroyed. This war is so different than most of the wars that have gone before because we can literally see it being played out on social media. The things that we're able to view are things in past generations, only soldiers and those who crossed their paths were able to see the horrors of war. But now on your laptop or your phone, you can see those real events unfold and the horror of them. One of the ladies I visited with when I was in Romania, just a couple of miles, uh, kilometers from the Ukrainian border, I have to get used to uh, their way of measuring things, kilometers, not miles. She was in the basement of a Baptist church there being cared for. She was with her mother and her daughter. Uh, they had fled from their hometown in Ukraine when the Russian soldiers invaded leaving her husband and her father behind to fight. They had gone to a neighboring city. It was in that neighboring city that, that they found refuge in a Baptist church. There was a Ukrainian Baptist church that took them in. They spent several days there. Then the bombs began to drop on that city, and they fled to Romania. As they literally crossed through the border checkpoint into Romania, they met a man who was there welcoming refugees. There have been millions of them flow out of the country. This man introduced himself as a Baptist pastor of a church nearby, asked if they needed help. As she was telling her story, she said to me at that point, the Baptists have been so good to us in Ukraine, I was relieved to meet another one. And I said, yes, we need help. And he offered to take us to his church. She said, it was only when I got in the car with my mother and my daughter in this strange country with this strange man that it dawned upon me, I don't know who he is regardless of what he claims, and I don't know where he's taking us. She said, I was so relieved when just a couple kilometers up the road, we pulled in the parking lot of this church. So I've been here for a couple of weeks now with my mother and daughter, and, and they've shown such kindness to us. Our IB missionaries and actually some retired missionaries who are volunteering are there helping care for them and the other refugees. But here's the thing she went on to say. She said, in their kindness, they've also shared with me the gospel. And she said, I've realized that I had spent my entire life just living my life lost 
and not even realizing it. She said, but because of what they have shared with me, I now realize it. And for all the horrors of this war, something good has come out of it as I've given my life to Christ. Thank God for those bright moments and the help that is being provided. But the horrors of this war are unspeakable. It's a problem that's affecting our entire world. Is it the world's greatest problem? I don't think so. As soon as tomorrow we may know the outcome of the Dobbs case, I suppose we already know it from the leak, but we anxiously await the Supreme Court ruling, a case that we're told will quite likely overturn the Roe v. Wade ruling and end federal protection for abortions that now number more than 63 million so think about the generations that have been born since Roe v. Wade in 1973. Are you aware of the fact that 20% of the population of this country is missing? Aborted in the womb. When we think about the African-American population of this country, 40% of the African-American population in the United States is missing. Is there a greater travesty that's unfolding in our country, in our world today? Uh, the United States isn't even first on that, uh, that list of, uh, of countries leading the world on abortion. China is first, Russia second, we're third. Is that the world's greatest problem? If not, what would it be? Would it be human trafficking? Would it be as liberal politicians would want to assure us climate change? Is that the worst problem in our world? I think the greatest problem in our world can be described with a single word, lostness. Lostness. To be spiritually lost. The book of Revelation presents to us the horror of that, particularly here in Revelation 20, and reminds us why this is the world's greatest problem. It is the world's greatest problem because it is a problem with eternal consequence. Most other problems you'll face in this life end when you die. Not lostness. It's not only a problem with eternal consequence, it's a universal problem. That is to say, it's everyone's problem. It's your problem. It's my problem. It's the problem of every human being who has been born. John's vision shines a light on the reality of that. In the very last verse, John points us to the eternal consequence. When he states in verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. In verse, 20, in verse 10, he explains that the lake of fire is the lake of fire and sulfur where Satan, that ancient serpent, interesting that John draws that image to describe Satan, that image that we find all the way back in the beginning of our Bibles in the book of Genesis. Satan, that ancient serpent, and the beast and the false prophet, verse 10, are thrown into the lake of fire. In the same verse, the word of God declares, the lake of fire is where, quote, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Forever. And ever. 
That is the eternal consequence of sin that remains unforgiven, of lostness. The world's greatest problem, if it isn't solved, to use a seldom used biblical image as John has referred us to our enemy, that ancient serpent. There's a sense in which all of us collectively and in individually have been snake bit by that ancient serpent. It must be the time of year. That's the only explanation I have. But when I came in from a week of meetings in Florida on Friday afternoon, was settling in the house and our daughters were taking the dog for a walk, they rushed back in the house and said, Daddy, there's a snake in the yard. Well, I went out to find out that indeed they were telling the truth. And it wasn't just a snake, it was a big snake. <laughs> a very big snake, over five feet long. So I relocated it. Later that evening, two doors down, walking back home, there was another one. And yesterday, mowing the grass, another one. Three, I mean, it's not like we live out in the woods. We're in the middle of a subdivision. And they were all really, really big. Now, the tricky thing about relocating snakes, of course, is not getting bit, right? I managed to do it successfully. Now, I've been bitten before. In fact, I'm a member of the Snake Bite Club. <laughs> the Snake Bite Club. It happened between my seventh and eighth grade years. I attended a conference or a camp in, in our uh, state, the state of Tennessee, known as Conservation Camp. I was excited to go to conservation camp because we are able to spend a week learning about conservation and critters. And, and there were some especially uh, fun things that we were told we'd get to do. We'd get to have rattlesnake for supper one night. Uh, we'd get to dissect a beaver. I thought that sounded really cool. But it were two other opportunities that made conservation camp legendary. It was the snake roundup and the snake bite club. Now, I'm not sure you could get away with this today. In fact, I'm sure you couldn't, not without a list of lawsuits. <laughs> uh, but, but back then, uh, on the evening of the snake roundup, a busload of teenagers was dropped off in a swamp. And there we spent the night wading through the swamp, waist deep to shoulder deep, catching snakes. <laughs> well, the next day, the non-venomous ones were put in pillowcases and paraded through the camp. And that's when every camper had the opportunity to join the snake bite club. Uh, it didn't work out so well for me, at least not as easily as others. Now, the peer pressure is real, as you can imagine, but, but it didn't even take peer pressure. I thought that would be neat to be able to say I'm a member of the snake bite club. Yet when I reached my hand in the pillowcase, either that pillowcase full of snakes was all bitten out or they were just lazy because nothing happened. So I was given instruction by the counselor carrying that pillowcase around. He said, well, take one out, which I did. Still, not a member. I said, what do I do next? He said, slap it, <laughs> which I did. And it slapped me back, two fangs into the back of my head. And I was an official member of the Snake Bite Club. Well, that's not my only Snake Bite story, but I think it's my best one. 
But the truth is, I was bitten long before that. And so was humanity. That ancient serpent, he slithered into Eden's garden, tempted Eve and Adam. They bought his lies, hook, line, and sinker. They sinned against God. And thus they were bitten. Genesis 3 relays that occurrence and the consequences of it. Genesis 3, picking up in verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and listen to this, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And thus, being tempted by the serpent, Adam and Eve sinned and were bitten. The consequences we know as the fall, the curse is spelled out for us. It wasn't just Adam's problem and Eve's problem. It would be the problem of their offspring. That'd be you. That'd be me. We saw it immediately in Cain, their son. Cain was cursed, but not just because of his parents' sin and the fact that they were the seed of Adam. Cain committed his own sin. And the greatest problem of his parents became his greatest problem. Cursed, spiritually lost. It would be the greatest problem of the world in Noah's day. It was the greatest problem of the world in Isaiah's day, in Jeremiah's day, and Ezekiel's day. It remains the greatest problem of the world to this day. And in fact, it's a greater problem for the world today than ever before. Why would I say that? Each year, our research team at the International Mission Board provides me with an updated statistic. They form that statistic by calculating three numbers. First, global population and the growth of global population. Second, the global death rate. And third, religious affiliation. And from those three numbers, how many people are in the world, how many people die every day, and what faith do they claim to have? The number they provide me with is an estimate of the number of people who die lost every day. They provide me that number in March of each year, and this year the number is 157,690. 157,690 people die every day having given no indication that they have heard and believed the gospel and been born again. They die lost. And it's the world's greatest problem. 
The problem gets worse every day. We calculate that number once a year, but that number grows every day. In fact, more people will die lost today than on any day upon which the sun has risen in human history. And the same will be true tomorrow and the day after that. If you ask me why Staples Mill Road Baptist Church exists, I'll say that's why. This church exists to get at that problem. This church exists near and far to help people deal with the world's greatest problem. And thank God he's given us a solution. That solution is actually alluded to there in Genesis 3.15 where we read about the one who would crush the head of the serpent with his heel. Jesus himself in his own snake story pointed to that solution as he shared the gospel with Nicodemus. He used yet another snake story in the book of Numbers, the one about the serpents that invaded the camp of the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness and had rebelled against God. Those vipers came as a judgment of God upon the people. They were biting the rebellious and sinful people. Those people were dying. Eventually the people repented and they cried out, Moses, please, on our behalf, take our case before the Lord. And Moses did that. And the Lord provided a solution to their problem. Moses, forge a bronze serpent. Put it on a pole. Rise it up. If anyone is bitten, they can look to the bronze serpent and they will live. Jesus, using that illustration, shares the gospel with Nicodemus. John 3, 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And indeed, soon he would be. Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the sinless one, the Son of God, lifted up upon the cross of Calvary to bear the sins of the world to remove the curse from any who would trust in him, any who would look to him, repenting of their sin, having faith in him and acknowledging him as Lord. The Bible says it's forgiven. There is no consequence to bear. Your greatest problem is solved when you hear and believe the gospel. Of course, we know that uh, that snake bite story where the Son of Man dies upon the cross for our sin and to remove this curse, it doesn't end upon the cross. No, it takes us to another garden where there is a garden tomb. And from that tomb, the stone is rolled away and the one who has died for the sins of the world is raised, proving his victory over this ancient serpent proving his victory over death, hell, and the grave, that any who would trust in him can have that victory. God's solution to the world's greatest problem is the gospel. It's what Jesus did for us. And he has given us that solution to share with the world as the one who became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God, became that atoning sacrifice, that once for all sacrifice the scriptures speak of and has been raised from the dead 
He gives us a pathway to life. Not the lake of fire, but the kingdom of God. Why does Staples Mill Road Baptist Church exist? It exists to address the world's greatest problem. It's true of the International Mission Board. We're your missionary sending partner because while you're addressing the greatest problem in the world here, we know it's a worldwide problem and the gospel must get to the very ends of the earth. With yet 7,000 unreached people groups and 3,000 people groups that haven't even been engaged with the gospel, there is much work left to be done. And we do it together. These two men showed up in the parking lot of a Baptist church several years ago on a weekday evening. It wasn't Wednesday night. So why did they show up at church? Because it was church visitation night. And they did what they'd come to do. It's a little town in the mountains. They just set out on foot, walking through the neighborhoods, knocking on doors, inviting people to church. At some point in the evening, they made their way up a very steep hill and came to the next to last house on the road, a little rental property at 210 Province Street. There they stepped on the porch, knocked on the door. It was a young man in his late 20s came to the door. I don't know if they knew about his circumstances. It was a small town. You know how small towns go. Maybe they knew everything. Maybe they knew nothing about him, but had they known his story, they would have known he was about two years past a divorce and he was raising his three little boys on his own. What they could not have possibly known is that the four-year-old somewhere in the house would someday be the president of the International Mission Board. But they knew enough to know what that man's greatest problem was. And so they invited him to church. Thankfully, Dad accepted their invitation. Somehow managed that next Sunday to get three very rowdy boys ready. <laughs> and he took us to church. Took us again the next Sunday and the Sunday after that. And what we found there was, well, it was what my family found here. We found a church family that welcomed us, that loved us and shared the gospel with us. A few years later, there was another knock at our door one evening. It was our pastor, not Pastor Jim. It was Pastor Allen back then in that little church. And he had come because dad had invited him. My older brother had been asking questions about the gospel. What would it mean for him to give his life to Jesus? Dad invited our pastor to come and share with him, and he did. He sat in the green chair in the corner of our living room. My younger brother and I, we sat in the floor, and we listened as Pastor Allen shared the gospel with our older brother. Pastor Allen got three for one that night as we put our trust in Jesus. We're saved. Baptized together just a few weeks later in the little First Baptist Church of Jellicoe, Tennessee. Oh, how thankful I am for a couple of men who knew the answer to the world's greatest problem and didn't keep it to themselves. Came and knocked on our door. Thankful I am for a pastor like Pastor Jim and the other pastors at our church whose greatest joy is to sit down with a person and share with them God's great solution to their greatest problem. How thankful I am for a church back then that knew why it was there. 
And how thankful I am to be a part of a church like that now. We know the answer to the world's greatest problem. God has us here to share it. Here and to the very ends of the earth. Let's be about the reason we're here. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you today for solving our greatest problem. Lord Jesus, for your willingness to take that problem upon yourself and bear our sins upon the cross, paying the debt in full. Lord, I pray that if there's one here today who has not yet had that problem solved, that you would speak to them even now. They would put their trust in you, Lord Jesus, today repenting, confessing you as Lord and being saved. For those of us who know that solution and have enjoyed it ourselves, Lord, use us here. And should you call us, might you find us willing to go to the very ends of the earth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.